Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you on this uh, Wednesday morning. Got a uh, very involved show for the next uh, three hours, beginning with uh, Northland head coach George Cornier. And haven't they started the NPC season, NPC season very well? They are three and one with some uh, sizable scalps, I've got to say. So what's the difference this year? Let's uh, get inside the Northland head coach's head uh, and George Cornier. Uh, we're going to talk some amateur golf after 9.30. Jason Gulasakaram. Uh, is in charge of uh, the amateur side of golf from New Zealand's point of view and uh, he'll be with us just after 9.32 because it's 30 years since uh, we won the Eisenhower Trophy, that fantastic team of four that we had uh, and of course it starts tonight over there in France. Clark Laidlaw is the All Black Sevens uh, head coach of course um, and they have just named their World Cup Sevens squad and they are on the way uh, again uh, over to South Africa. Uh, for this particular tournament. So uh, they've also named uh, the Black Ferns women's sevens team as well. We'll go through those teams uh, very shortly. Uh, Mark Watson and Aidan McLaughlin are on the panel this morning, just uh, after 10.20. Catch up with Louie and uh, Pip Morris uh, just before 11 o'clock. Then Regan Wood, who, of course, is the CEO of the Auckland Tuatara, and that encompasses, of course, the basketball team and the baseball team. Basketball season uh, pretty successful and done now. Uh, so he's uh, changed and put his baseball cap on now, Regan Wood. We'll talk to him about uh, his recruitment policies and how they're looking for this year. Uh, 11.45, we'll have a quick catch-up with uh, Andy Thompson because, of course, his show uh, is Rural Roundup, and that's uh, from 12 to 1 this afternoon on all frequencies here except for Auckland and Wellington. And then we'll hand over to staff. It's as simple as that. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it is time for wholesale changes this week. You wouldn't, rather, wouldn't you rather lose finding things out about new players than lose confirming once things about old players that you already knew? I mean, I'm not saying for one second they're going to lose. But if we did, just say we did lose again, wouldn't you find, wouldn't find things out? Experimenting at this point is a step forward with legs we know will be good enough in eight, in, uh, for 80 minutes and 12 months' time and pacing legs that we suspect may not. Treat it as an exciting time, not a depressing time. So, you know, let's go forward. Let's keep going forward if we can. I think we've pretty much hit rock bottom. So for that reason, uh, I've named my side. My side for uh, the match against uh, Argentina and Hamilton this Saturday night. And there's a new look about it. There has to be. It's as simple as that. So I start with Will Jordan at 15 and Seve Reese at 14. Caleb Clark at 11. 
I have Quinn Tapire and Geordie Barrett in the centres. Why? Quinn Tapire runs the best angles. Geordie Barrett was the strongest ball carrier the other night. And we have to have some punch in the midfield against this Argentinian defence. Bowden Barrett comes in at 10 because I think if we don't break through, he's got the best kicking game, the best inventive game, and the best thinking brain to try and break it down. He might have innovation. Finley Christie deserves to start at 9 because uh, of the pace of the game we want to play. And yep, well let's get Hoskins Satutu in and see if Hoskins Satutu can make an impression off the back of the scrum. Our best performance at 6 this year, I believe, was Scott Barrett against Ireland in the first test at Eden Park. So let's put him back there. Um, I, I also have uh, Brody Retallick coming back in, fresh from uh, a bit of a spell. Uh, OK, the jaw was a bit sore, but the body should be fine. He was OK for Hawks Bay the other day, had a bit of a hit out, so I like Brody Retallick in there alongside Tupu Vai. Let's give this young bloke a start. He's a big guy, he's athletic, uh, he's mobile. Let's give him a start as well. The other uh, loose forward positions, uh, uh, we have, uh, of course, Artie Sevilla coming in at seven. Artie Sevilla, so it's a 2-2, Scott Barrett and Artie Sevilla captain. Uh, don't, st- don't start changing the front row. We found it. it was a problem a year ago, the front row. It's not now, it seems. So let's start with Toriel Lomax, Semisoni Tokiahu, and Ethan DeGroote again. Uh, and in the reserves, uh, Cody Taylor. Uh, not this week, Cody, I'm afraid. So we go back to Dane Coles. I uh, know the legs are getting a bit old. He is getting a bit greyer. But Dane Coles off the bench has to be. Uh, George Bauer and Fletcher Newell doing a good job too uh, off the bench. So we'll start with them. We'll have to have, uh, I think, Sam Whitelock back in there. We'll have Sam Whitelock back in there, but off the bench. Uh, and for 20 minutes rather than 80 minutes. Dalton Popoliti, got to have Dalton Popoliti in the mix, so he's our loose forward reserve, and then we can mix and mingle when he comes on the park, depending on where you want to play him. Falau Fokotava deserves uh, some time, some more time against uh, Argentina. Steven Perifeta deserves more than 50 seconds, so we start him in the utility position around about 10, 12, 15. Uh, Enrico Ioani, who can cover most bases in the back line, with that speed, might be a good injection with about 20 minutes to go. So that's my team, that's my team, and it will be nothing like, absolutely, I'm confident to say, nothing like the team that Ian Foster names in a few days' time. It is 9.08 here on SCNZ. Some great commentary in there, some great excitement, and get the atmosphere in the background. That was Jeff McTainch calling Northland against Southland, the, the derby last weekend for Sky Sport. And what a thrilling battle it was. The Tanifa coming out on top 32 to 19 to improve their record to three wins and one loss. They currently sit third in the NPC's even conference, just four points back from their next opponent, Auckland, who are first. And joining us now on the line is head coach of the Tanifa. George Connier. George, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. How are you, mate? 
Look, I'm really good, and uh, like a lot of people around the country, I'm absolutely loving the NPC this year because uh, you front up on any given night or day, and anyone can beat anyone. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. As you said, like um, if, if you're not prepared um, and you turn up on the game day un- um, not ready to go, the, the bottom place team can definitely beat the top place team. So I love the new format of the competition this year. It's really adding a mm. sense of excitement. I think it's bloody good. I was going to ask you about that, actually, because um, not everyone's been unanimous about it, but it certainly seems to have uh, worked in your favour. And it's also exposing your players, you know, to, to a better standard of, of rugby, I think, uh, pretty much every week. Yeah, that's right. Like, um, so, if you, as you know, Smithy, when you play sport, you want to play against the best. And in, um, in our domestic competition, we haven't had opportunities to play some of the better teams in the competition. So I, I really enjoy the new format. It gives our players an opportunity to to uh, challenge themselves against some of the best players in the competition, um, and more collectively, the better teams of the competition. So yeah, we're really enjoying the the weekly challenge. It's um it's really yeah, really good. George, when you you sat down at the start of the season, I mean, most coaches set goals. Um, what what were your goals or your aspirations heading into the season? Well, I'm just going to just take a stack a little bit, Smithy, and then like. If we um, if we went back to 2020, we had a you know we got through to the championship of the uh, the final of the championship last year. Obviously, was a huge disappointing season for us. So we had to really strip everything back and um, just fo- um, focus on some key things. And one of the biggest things that we we come out of uh, last season was just our strength and conditioning was way off par. So we want to we went we went into the season knowing that we needed to be fit because we want. We wanted to target every game that we play, and that's our mindset this year. Um, we want to every game that we go into, we're looking at winning it, and the results will just take care of themselves um, with regards to where we end up in the competition. Obviously, every team wants to get through to the quarterfinals, but we just want to put in a performance every week that we can be proud of and our fans can be proud of. George, tell us about your coaching staff structure this year. We um, so. Uh, obviously, I'm there with I'm the head coach with, along with Graham Dews, who's been, who's been with us for two years uh, as our set piece coach. Marty um, Veal has come in this year, and he's uh, he's leading the uh, the defence, and he's introduced some new systems to our to our team. And um, as you know, the, our defence has really stepped up this year, and um, it's it's leading the way with regards to our physicality but also our belief in, in what we're doing and how we're going about things. George, it's, uh, it's better than effective. It's, uh, I, think it's the most, I think it's the most effective uh, defence in the competition so far. Uh, and when, you've, when you look at um, the results so far, um, you've beaten Taranaki on the road, you've beaten Wellington on the road, watched both of those games, gritty, tough performances in pretty average conditions. Um, and that's set it mm. up for you. Yeah, it has. Like, as you said, like we've, we're off to a good start um, in the competition in the NPC. Um, we've still got six games to go, so as I said, like we just need to take each game as it comes. Um, and the boys are just really enjoying the challenge and, and playing these these top players and these top teams. You've had um, <clears throat> a couple of. Um, Decent players come into the ranks. You've attracted, uh, for instance, Josh Morby into into the unit. That's been a good find for you. Yeah, he's been outstanding. Um, 
we've uh, been monitoring him for over the last couple of years and we heard that um, he was um, available. So uh, we went hard for, for Josh. He's a quality player, quality, quality human being. And um, he's really added a different dimension to our to our team this year. Fully professional, but a real good character that, um, also. So, um, yeah, we'll be really fortunate to, to add Josh Morby to our, um, to our uh, roster this year. Really good. The good news, uh, good news. Have always uh, had a strong alliance uh, with Northland Rugby, of course, Josh uh, and uh, and Jack. Unfortunate for Jack uh, after one one appearance for you. Yeah, like um, um, we we're really excited to get Jack back um, and play some NPC rugby for us. Um, unfortunately, he uh, he he uh, only stayed for us for that one game, but um, he went back into the All Blacks. And uh, obviously he needed to get a bit of a tidy up in his knee, which will hopefully um, get him available for the All Blacks potentially later in the year or especially for that World Cup next year. But it's always great having having Jack back uh, and obviously Josh is with us and um, he's been doing a really good job for us too. Provincial rugby always has uh, characters. It always has players with uh, longevity about it. George, that's one of the great characters about it. It helps the younger players come through into the mix. And uh, was there any range, uh, and it's uh, back again this year, looking just as willing as ever? Yeah, like um, Renz is, um, he, he's, um, he's, he's really enjoying his rugby this year. Um, so we're quite fortunate Ren, Rennie and, and um, Ross Wright are both centurions for us and I don't think you see many of uh, many of those stats around these days with centurions still out there playing the game but, but really enjoying it and being uh, being proactive and, and being good role models for our younger players you know yeah, you look at you look around our environment and you see these experienced players um, sitting down and talking to the younger players and just um, helping them with their game but also just having a general yarn and enjoying each other's company. It's great to see. Offer has uh, been back for you um, on the odd occasion and, and Tom Robinson as well. So, I mean, the mix the mix there uh, with the, the, their experience, both with All Blacks and the Blues, coming back up to Northland, is, uh, it's been good too? Yes, yeah, definitely. Like, um, you've touched on it there. We've got a real good, I think, a good mix of experience and youth, which brings its own excitement and energy. You know, you've, you got these young players that are really jumping out of their skin to be part of part of what we've got going here, but you've got the older, experienced players who are really willing to to help these young players come through and be the best that they can be. So um, it's a real good environment, positive, and everybody's working hard. Uh, George, we've highlighted some of um, you know the better known players as such, but what about the depth this year? The depth. Uh, how how many did you bring in from outside? How many did you um, did you uh, perhaps uh, hold on to and the, and the, the other ones that uh, have come through the ranks in Northland, what, what's the system like there? So um, again at the end of end of last year we uh, had a really uh, rigorous review and the biggest thing that we needed to do initially was get our retention right um, so we've, we've retained a lot of our, our players from last year and we've recruited some some uh, ex-factor players that we felt uh, we needed to Go out of the province to um, to recruit him, but I think in, in total, I think we've looked at about um, eight. We've recruited eight players into the province, but we've also left um, spaces open for players to work their way through the club system. Um, that's always been a 
one of our policies up here in Northland that we, is that we want to show pathways for players coming through the system. They if they work hard um, and they put in the effort, you know, they can definitely make it uh, through the club system. Right, you've got um, a pretty difficult stretch coming up now. Um, if you look at it, um, of course you've got Auckland um, this Saturday, two o five, and then um, a, a visit to Christchurch. Uh, so. A pretty tough back-to-back ones coming up, which are, uh, are really going to test you. But they'll be a nice yardstick for you as well, George, because in previous years you would have been um, pretty heavy underdogs to take those two provinces on, but perhaps not this year. Oh, obviously we're just taking one game at a time, but we are really looking forward to, to playing Auckland. We know they're a, they're a good team, um, and we just need to be really disciplined. Uh, obviously got Canterbury after that, but if you reflect back at the beginning of the season... You could say exactly the same thing about the first three games that we played. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to the to the battle and um, especially this first game, which is against Auckland this weekend. Are there games, uh, George, uh, you know, traditional games, and I'm, I'm talking about um, like local derbies, etc. Are, are there games that mean more to Northland historically than perhaps other ones? I mean, for instance, is this one against Auckland as uh, a local derby as such? Yeah, I guess so. Like um, Auckland is always uh, obviously they're, they're a close member of ours, um, and uh, there has been a, a lot of historical games between the two teams over the, over the years and over the decades. Uh, I think the last time uh, uh, that we uh, got a win against Auckland was back in two thousand and eight. Eight. So. Um, um, that that's going to be a good motivating factor for us. Like um, we love it when uh, teams come home and play at our at our Grand Seminoff Stadium, and um, yeah, we're just looking forward to to that to that uh, that rivalry. And I think we've had some real good battles over the over the years. We just missed out probably in t- 2020, so we just want to make sure that we rectify that and come out on on the right side of the ledger. Uh, George. Um just finally, um, uh, I heard uh, on the grapevine, uh, you being, of course, uh, a Te Aote boy uh, in terms of your upbringing, Te Aote, very proud college in uh, Hawke's Bay back in those days. Uh, you've always had, uh, when you look at um, the, your, your, the way your pathway has been, it's always been uh, more in the provinces. Uh, have, have you enjoyed that? Yeah, really, I have. Um, so, like, leaving school, I played... Uh, Representative rugby for Manawatu two in Hawke's Bay. Then I ended up going overseas for for a number of years in Japan. Um, I've also coached Hawke's Bay and, and Northland, and I really have enjoyed the, the provinces. Um, the people are, are unique, are really grounded and down to earth. And um, yeah, I just really enjoy enjoy that side of the game too. Obviously, we work really hard um, behind the scenes trying to make sure that our our teams um, perform, but. It's just getting to know the people in each province um, and in rugby, and I think it's really, um, really a special part of the game. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, that that side of it. It's, it's great. George, I heard a, a, a rumour that perhaps you you may well be uh, heading back down uh, the Hawks Bay way at the end of the season. I know you're going to totally focus, and what you're going to say is your focus is totally on what you, your job you've got to do now. But is that a possibility that you might be heading further south? Yeah, that's right. So um, it's not a possibility; it's a certainty. So, um, me and my family were looking at going back to, or we are going back to Hawke's Bay at the end of this year. Um, so yeah, we're really looking forward to that, and really excited about um, 
going back to Hawke's Bay and settling settling down and and um, spending some more time with family. Looking forward to uh, having you back in the region, George. Good luck with uh, Auckland on Saturday, then Canterbury, and for the remainder of the season. It's been a great story so far. Long may it continue. Very proud province. George Cornier, thank you very much. Thanks for the up the tunnies, eh? Yeah, up the tunnies. Absolutely loving what you're doing, mate. Thanks. Uh, have a good week. Cheers. George Cornier there, folks, uh, head coach of uh, Northland. One of the great stories so far of this uh, revised NPC competition. They are in the evens side of it, and they have knocked over some scalps already. Taranaki and Wellington, they've got Auckland uh, on the map this weekend. Imagine if they beat uh, Auckland. What, uh, what a great story that would be. 9.23 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, let's uh, get into some of the texts. Look, uh, it's double eight double three is our uh, temper bed post uh, text machine. Double eight double three, and over the next uh, twenty four hours, the All Blacks don't normally name their side right until about uh, lunchtime or just before that on a Thursday. That seems to be the pattern anyway. So we've got about twenty four hours, just over twenty four hours really, to uh, to have a, a crack at yours and and get it uh, to us on double eight double three. I'll read it out. We've got a day and a bit to read it out, so I'll certainly do that. For instance, uh, here is a team coming in from Luke, uh, Ethan De Groot, um, uh, Samasoni, Toku Aho, Tyrell Lomax, Sam Whitelock, Captain, Brody Retallick, Scott Barrett, Dalton Popoli'i, uh, Hoskins Tutu, Finlay Christie, Richie Mwanga, Caleb Clark um, at uh, maybe, uh, yeah, Caleb Clark at 11, Harvey and Quintapaya bracketed, Alex Nankerville from Super Rugby. Uh, Geordie Barrett, uh, Seve Reese, uh, bracketed, and Will Jordan. That you leaves you with Coles, Bauer, Newell, Tupu Vai, Adi Savia. Adi Savia off the bench. That's a big one. Uh, Brad Weber, Rico Ioani. So uh, that's an interesting one, Luke. Uh, there's a few in there you could talk about. You can't have access to Alex Nankerville because, of course, uh, he was uh, not in the original squad. This is the squad that they have to pick because they name it for the rugby championship. And barring injury, they have to stick with that. That's an agreement between the three or four, I should say, the four countries. So uh, that's an interesting one, Luke. Uh, there are a number of changes there. You've got Richie Moanga at uh, 10 and... Uh, you've uh, also kept um, Brody Retallick uh, and Whitelock together as well. Richie Moanga, yeah, that's an interesting one at 10. And I say that because uh, we've also had a text from uh, Nick P that says, uh, Smithy, agree with most of your AB changes, but don't change Moanga. The seesaw between him and Barrett needs to stop. We've got to stick with one pivot and commit. Um, hey, Smithy, I, I think uh, number 10 is a huge risk for us, says Anthony. Barrett is no longer world class. Moanga... Is scared in precious times, it seems, and based on Super Rugby, Perafeta isn't ready. Mm, interesting. Matt said, uh, Smithy, 100% agree with your team named. Only change I'd make if possible, but it's not, is bringing you more in for Coles on the bench. Changes are imperative now, or we will have missed a trick yet again. Cheers, Matt from Blenheim. Uh, Asufu Amora might be lucky to play him for Wellington this week on what I saw at the weekend. But however, uh, we move on, and we move on to the news at 9.30. Here's Araha.
And it's 9.32 here on SENZ, and while the prowess of uh, Rory McIlroy during the PGA's Tour Championship has been on our minds lately, stunning performance, uh, along with whatever potential moves might be coming out of uh, live golf, there's plenty happening in the world of amateur golf as well. And 2022, yes, this year marks 30 years, can you believe it, 30 years since the New Zealand team of Michael Campbell, Phil Totorangi, Stephen Scarhill and Grant Moorhead won the Eisenhower Trophy over the USA by three shots. Our first ever win. Fantastic it was. And uh, it was the birth of some terrific golfers too as they went through to the professional ranks. And now it's the chance of a new group of young Kiwis who look to replicate that success at the 32nd World Amateur Teams Championship in France. And joining us now is Golf New Zealand's Jason Gulasekaram to talk a, a more about the team. Jason, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. How are you, mate? Oh, look, I'm through. when I, I start talking about amateur golf, I get really excited because I love it. I absolutely love it, and I love what New Zealand have done over the years. And now we've got a new group of, uh, of uh, young players, three young players, um, uh, that have uh, been given this uh, great opportunity, which, of course, starts tonight in France. Uh, fantastic. Tell us a wee bit about our team, if you can, Jason. Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got three players over representing New Zealand uh, in France for the Eisenhower Trophy. As you say, their names are Kazuma Kabori, James Hyde and Sam Jones. And they've been three of our top amateurs for a few years now, all three of them part of the Golf New Zealand National Academy. Um, and both or all of them really looking forward to the opportunity of testing their, I guess, their skills against um, some of the world's best amateurs. And um, as they sort of look to progress, further towards the professional ranks uh, in the years to come. So great opportunity for those young blokes who are looking forward to trying to replicate the success from our Eisenhower team 30 years ago. Yeah, and what a great event that was. Um, How does the selection process work? work? I would imagine there are a lot of candidates that you could have picked from. Yeah, we do have a um, a selection criteria. it's sort of it's based on I guess tournament performances over um, both nationally and internationally over the last couple of years. Their world amateur golf rankings um, and how they're performing um, as of late. So the team was picked uh, a few a few months ago, um, and there was probably about four, five, six guys uh, in the mix. But these three, especially this year, have sort of separated themselves out from um, a few of the others around. Um, Kazuma's had a Pretty um, pretty awesome year, winning the um, New Zealand Amateur Stroke Play. Sorry, last year in in 2021, um, and he's our top ranked uh, amateur in the in the world at the moment. Jimmy Hyde's um, nipping closely at his heels, and he's um, had an awesome couple of years, winning on the Gene Holmes Charles Tour. He's got a New Zealand Amateur to his name, um, and finally Sam Jones, who's uh, a little bit older than um, the the first two there, but he's. Um, He's come along really nicely. He was uh, just come back from a scholarship from the States. Um, and, yeah, he's just been winning a lot of district events. He's the reigning New Zealand stroke play champion. So all three golfers very deserving of their places on the side. Jason, uh, of course, the tournament has evolved. It's changed uh, back in the, you know, 30 years ago. We had a four-man team. Now we're a three-man team. Could you explain the, the format now for us, please? Sure thing. Um, so they all play individual stroke play um, and the best two scores at the end of each day will count towards the team score. 
um, and accumulative, accumulatively over um, the four days, the, the team that's got the best um, team score will win the Eisenhower Trophy and um, the player with the lowest um, four-round score will win the individual trophy. Has it um, it's still got that uh, that aura about it, uh, the Eisenhower, in terms of uh, world amateur golf? Does it still sit right up the top there? Yep, exactly. Um, it is one of the premier um, amateur events in golf, um, and it is one of the uh, one of the events that all of these players aspire to to play one day. Um, it's I mean it's gone from four players down to three players a, a little a little while ago. Um, but yeah, it is still held up in a similar sort of echelon as the US amateurs, Western amateurs, British amateur, um, and it's just quite a, a unique event given that there is um, your rep- players are representing their country, um, and there's a team element there too. Jason uh, played over two courses: Le Golf National, which uh, hosted the 2018 Ryder Cup, and Golf de Saint-Nom La Bretèche. Uh, both courses, uh, of course, uh, next to Paris. Uh, do we know uh, much about these courses? Have, have the players had an opportunity to really get used to them? Uh, the player, but well, we had the Espirito Santo Trophy, the women's equivalent of the event last week, um, and the men were quite lucky. They arrived a day uh, earlier um, and got to go and sort of watch the watch the girls go and play their final round. Um, but no, they haven't had a whole lot of prep on the golf course. They're only allowed one practice round on each uh, golf course. Um, but a lot of them, I think, you know, with the Ryder Cup being there in 2018, a lot of them have, uh, have taken the opportunity to sit down and, and watch a fair chunk of that Ryder Cup again uh, to, to do some prep. So not a whole lot um, of prep has um, gone into actually seeing the golf course and playing the golf course, but there's plenty of uh, other things that they've done to help get themselves prepared for probably the um, one of the biggest events that they've, they will have played. I was going to say, how do we follow it? Uh, is it possible? Is it on? Is it televised, do you know? Or um, is there any channel along which lines we can sort of follow it? Um, you can follow the IGF uh, running it. They've got um, live scoring and all the tournament information on their website. Um, I don't think there's any sort of televised coverage, um, although we've got... Um, uh, Golf New Zealand national uh, coach Jay Carter over there sort of feeding um, some content back to uh, Golf New Zealand social media channels. So we'll be covering uh, all the Kiwis over there uh, every day and, and post, making sure that all Kiwi golf fans are, are well informed. Let's look at uh, the, the women's side of it as well, if we can, uh, Jason. And uh, tell us a, a wee bit about the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific series of tournaments because... Um, this is exciting. I, I look at uh, our leading women's amateurs, um, and uh, just to name but six of them, Fiona Zhu, Vivian Liu, uh, Yunsio Choi, Tara Raj, uh, Darai Chung, and Suman Kang. Uh, obviously, they're uh, a serious Asian influence uh, across the board on the back of, uh, I guess, Lydia's success going back those few years. Uh, is that the strength of uh, New Zealand women's amateur golf? Yes, I mean, we've got lots of um, Kiwi golfers of Asian descent um, on that, that play here, and I think that is a, a lot due to um, Lydia's influence. Um, this event that they're heading off to um, is pretty cool. Um, it's not a, a selection event that New Zealand has selected a side for. They've all automatically qualified and, and been invited to play by the APGC, the Asia-Pacific Golf Confederation, um, and they've worked with the RNA um, to um, put on 
an event which the with the winner um, getting starts in uh, three three uh, three of the women's majors, which is a pretty big carrot on the line for um, a lot of these young golfers and a great opportunity for them to also test um, their skills against some of Asia Pacific's best. So. Um, yeah, like they're, I think they're all really looking forward to it. It's such a great opportunity for them, and um, I reckon they're rearing to go. Hoping like heck, Ryan Fox makes the President's Cup team uh, for September, but already we've got uh, a couple of Kiwi lads uh, in the uh, Junior President's Cup, uh, and Jaden Ford and Joshua Bai. What a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually spoke to them uh, late last week when they um, when it was all announced, and yeah, they're really excited. Um, they're hoping that um, team captain Tim Clark will pair them together. Um, they've played a lot of golf together. They're um, similar age, um, and they've been, their progression has been has been on a, on a very similar sort of timeline. Um, and they're actually both over playing the the junior players the week before um, at TPC Sawgrass. So they're going to be going into the week um, with a bit of competitive golf under their belts, and hopefully um, they'll get paired together and. There'll be some. Uh, they'll get some good matches and and put fly the Kiwi flag um, nice and high for us. Jason, obviously, um, you know the goal for for these younger players is to uh, the PGA, the DP Tour, etc. Uh, and I just wonder, would you have any idea um, the number of golfers who are trying or are currently in the Ameri- American college system from New Zealand? Do we have do we have many players uh, trying or going through that those ranks to get through? that to the corn ferry etc uh, as a stepping stone yeah well we've got like probably i would say probably in between 10 and 20 golfers um of both genders uh over attending u.s college at the moment um and a lot of them go just because um you're playing you know against some of the best players in the world um uh, on some of the best golf courses. so it's a great great pathway to go down um and through that um only a handful of them will probably go and go on to try with Corn Ferry Tour schools and um, and the like. Uh, most recently, we've had um, the two, uh, not Daniel Hillier, but um, the other Hillier brothers that we've got um, in New Zealand, Charlie and Harry. They've both uh, attended college over there and now have both um, just gone through um, Corn Ferry Tour um, Q schools. Um, and I think both have got some Monday starts uh, in a couple of these events too. So... Is a, 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 one of the pathways that these um, kids can go down. Um, otherwise, a lot of them base themselves here in New Zealand, work themselves up to uh, a certain level where they um, feel they're ready to travel abroad um, and, and try and some of these other Q schools as well. Uh, Jason, I know that at this point, um, with what you're doing, you're, you're pretty much focused on the amateur side of things, but I guess you must sit back and look at the professional side of things. And of course, golf, oh, I think it's fair to say, um, is it's healthy, but it's in turmoil in, in a number of areas as well. With the, this uh, this live thing, and we saw you know two or three other defections the other day of high-profile players. Uh, what's your view on it? I mean, I guess back in New Zealand, we can only sit back and look. But what's what's your view on it? Good question. Um, I, I believe that players are all entitled to, to play wherever they like. Um, I mean, live golf is just a they're, they're in as a bit of a disruptor, and they're certainly disrupting. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how um, see how it all continues to unfold, especially with the recent signings that they've just named. Mm, it will be actually. Hey, hey, great to catch up with you, Jason. Thanks uh, so much for your time. Really, really looking forward to uh, the performance of. Uh, 
our three young men over the next uh, four nights in Paris. Uh, it should be fascinating. Uh, thanks for catching up with us and, uh, and giving us the information. I love it. Cheers. Cool. Appreciate your time, Smithy. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Jason uh, Gulasekaram there uh, from uh, Golf New Zealand who uh, very much uh, has hands-on in terms of the amateur ranks and uh, exciting times for our amateur golfers. And uh, I can tell you from uh, a really hacking club playing point of view, it's pretty hard to get tee times around this country at the moment because people are loving playing golf. It is very, very popular. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Ken has come in. I love Ken, uh, and uh, we really value his uh, his contact with uh, our shows uh, across the board, actually. Smithy, not a bad AB team, but n- uh, no way could you start that midfield without uh, Rico at 13. Pace, pace, you can't beat it. And no white lock on the bench for me, says Ken. So, Ken, um, thank you very much for that. And uh, I, I, Chris has come in and said, to try this one for size. Uh, Ethan De Groot, uh, Sam Asoni, uh, Lomax, Sam Whitelock. Scott Barrett, uh, Frizzell, Artie Savia at seven, Hoskins Satutu at eight, uh, Aaron Smith still at nine, Perafeta, uh, Caleb Clark at 11, Quintapire and Rico in the centres, uh, Geordie Barrett at 14, and Jordan, Jordan, uh, Will Jordan on the wing there. So uh, quite like that. Uh, there's another one uh, that has come in from Ken as well. Uh, so not only has he suggested you've got to keep Rico, he said, let's put these players around him. See if you can get an Auckland theme to this. I, I think I can. Uh, so Ken says, my team is Perafeta, Jordan, uh, Rico Ioane, Roger Tuovasashek, Caleb Clark, Bowden Barrett, Caleb, uh, Christie, Finley Christie, Satutu, Papali'i. A little bit of a blue connection there, um, Ken. Uh, Savia, Barrett, Retallick, Lomax, Samasoni, uh, Tokiafo, of course, and uh, Ethan De Groot. Bench, Havili, Smith, Reese, Coles, Bauer, Tuanga Parsi, Kane, and Vi. Interesting, isn't it? Well, all the combinations we're coming up with here. But, uh, Ken, love your support for the Blues. Absolutely love it. Uh, Caleb said, uh, Richie at 10 is what needs to happen for him to build confidence and foundation for him to play at test level more consistently. Barrett, I feel, is in the same group as a lot of our All Blacks, some of not are among the best players in the world, but lacking the confidence in their own abilities. We're in the trenches now. we just got to keep battling, even if it means for the viewers we do the unthinkable and lose at Eden Park and lose a trophy. I am surprised that the Aussies even remember. Thank you very much, uh, Caleb. Uh, we'll be back very shortly with a multi prior to 10 o'clock. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, today's multi is uh, baseball, tennis and rugby union. The Dodgers to beat the Mets this afternoon at $1.65. It's in Major League Baseball, of course. The United States Tennis Open is on and Dimitrov to beat Nakashima at $1.67 uh, in the early rounds of the men's draw, that is. And uh, there is an NPC game tonight in Christchurch. It is Canterbury against North Harbour. Um, and there's a 14.5-point uh, start Canterbury are giving away. I think they're good enough to do that, minus 14.5. 
uh, and beat North Harbour by that margin at $1.90. So that will multi up at $5.24. The Dodgers into Dimitrov into Canterbury, minus 14 and a half. Right, we're going to be talking sevens uh, after the break, uh, and we're going to be uh, catching up with Clark Laidlaw, who, of course, is the head coach of the New Zealand men's seven team, sevens team, the, the jubilant sevens team, of course, just winning, winning in L.A., uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, he named his side this morning, uh, and they're heading off now to Cape Town. I'll give you that side as we head into the news. Uh, Kurt Baker, Dylan Collier, Scott Curry, Sam Dixon, Moses Leo, uh, Narohi Makavi black uh, Sione Molia, uh, Tone Ngshu, uh, Amanaki uh, Nicole, uh, Lewis Ormond, uh, Kulia Rokolisoa, uh, Brady Rush, Caleb Tangatau, Tangatau and uh, Tangitau, and uh, Regan Weir. Regan Weir. That is the team that we'll talk about after the break uh, with uh, the coach, of course, who's taking them there. And it's a, a fantastic side, uh, brim full of confidence, and a really big chance of uh, scooping uh, a world title. So, Clark Laidlaw, after the break, we think he's at the airport in LA heading to South Africa. Uh, it's a bit of a how are you, where are you coming up uh, with Clark Laidlaw. Uh, and after that, of course, we'll have a panel. And we'll also, uh, after uh, 11 o'clock, Talk to Regan Wood out of the Auckland Tuatara. Baseball this time. Here's Araha with the news. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Exciting time for Sevens uh, Rugby, of course, and the All Blacks and uh, Blackfern Seven squads for the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Sevens have been named this morning with both looking defend, to defend their back-to-back titles in Cape Town. The format is cutthroat, though, with both sides playing just one must-win match to advance to the quarterfinals in front of what is expected to be 50,000 South African fans. Clark Laidlaw, of course, is head coach of the All Black Sevens. He joins us now. Uh, from the airport, I'm led to believe. Clark, you better give us a... Uh, uh, how are you? Where are you at the moment? Yeah, good morning. Uh, I'm still still in LA, so... Yeah, we're just starting to travel um, across to Cape Town, so a big couple of days ahead. Um, I've got a 17-hour uh, flight with a seven-hour layover in Dubai and then another nine or ten hours down to Cape Town. So, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, an exciting couple of days and a chance to put the fee up, I guess, and... Uh, dust ourselves off before we get to Cape Town. Well, it's been a, a fantastic uh, couple of days of um, of celebrating, I would imagine, because uh, that was one uh, one hell of a performance. Uh, can you give us your reflection on that, first of all, to win that title? Yeah, it was... Yeah, we're extremely proud of the way the men applied themselves through the weekend. It was, there was a lot happening. It was pretty obvious. We, we got a few injuries through through the tournament. Um you know, we're a particularly hard group with, with Canada and then USA at home and, and South Africa. So, you know, it gives a lot of confidence that first day, the way we navigated our way through the day and and built the tournament nicely. And, you know, I think one of the most pleasing things was was probably the way that the whole squad fronted, as well as winning games different ways, you know. So, as I say, I thought we dominated day one really well and then got on top of Ireland early. And then Samoa, we were obviously two tries down twice in the game two yellow cards, um, you know, there's enough there for us to to lose that game for sure. Um, but to come through that and then still have enough energy with, yeah, we had 10 players stripped. But, yeah, if I'm being honest, there was probably eight that were fully fit and another two that just had the front. So to beat Fiji in a, you know, a pretty 
thrilling game, wasn't it? You know, a real high-scoring game end-to-end. Mm. Again, was really pleasing because, um, you know, it gives a lot of confidence we can get in those, those types of games and still come through. You've got a very busy time on the World Series circuit as such, but when you're playing that, have you always got, uh, particularly in a World Cup year, you've got, you've got this World Cup in mind? Yeah, like the whole year was based around the Commonwealth Games and, and um, in the World Cup. And But when you play a World Series tournament, once you're in the tournament, there's nothing you can do, you know, so it's not like you can rest people up between games or not play the next game. You've only got your 30 men that are stripped and, and they just have the front, you know, so we definitely have like to rotate our team and, and potentially not go as deep um, as our reserves to win those games, but we had no choice once the tournament starts. So, so yeah, we and I, I think, before the tournament to, towards Cape Town, but, you know, once we got that fight and we just have to get our heads down and, you know, winning any tournament um, is very difficult, so... That was, again, one of the really pleasing things. We had an opportunity and, you know, we've made three finals in the World Series this year out of five. So, so again, getting over the line gives us confidence, as you say, to the, to the one eye that was sent towards Cape Town next week. Uh, obviously, of course, because you've had less opportunity than uh, most of the other sides in the World Cup. I think, as you say, you've, you haven't had that uh, level of participation for various reasons. Um, so um, just how much confidence do you think uh, that win in LA has, has given the group? I mean, we've done so well at World Cups previously. Um, was it just a reminder of their capabilities and, and the fact that you're getting it right at the right time? I think so, mate. And I, I think, you know, we, we obviously lost an extra time to Fiji in the Commonwealth Games. We lost the extra time in the final in London. So it's three tournaments in a row we feel we've really performed well. Um, but maybe some of the younger players and, and maybe some of the older players that we haven't played as much recently have forgot how deep you have to go to win to win big tournaments, you know, mentally and, and physically. How, you know, I described it to the players this week around going into their soul to to find a way to win. Um, and I think that's a timely reminder. It's, it's given us real confidence in our game, but it's also, you know, really front of mind now how difficult it is um, to win tournaments. So. Hopefully now we've felt it again. You know the muscle memory is, is a little bit clearer, and we can we can try and repeat it uh, come Cape Town. That's a, a big attrition rate for one tournament, though, to lose uh, that number of players. And when you look at the group that you couldn't pick, including the likes of Tim Mickelson and uh, Rhodes Featherston, uh, Kationa Vai, Joe Weber, Leroy Carter, Roderick Solo, Shay Clark, Andrew Newstead, you have uh, obviously developed quite a deep a, a deep pool, Clark, to come up with what you've got. Yeah, and the whole staff and players should be really, really proud of that because we've had no rugby for two years. You've just named a pretty good seven side that, that can't be there. you know. And I, and I look at the team we've picked and we've got every confidence we can go there and play well. So so that's always been something we've been striving for. Um, you know, And if I'm being honest, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult when there's no adult sevens in New Zealand. We don't have anywhere where we can develop with talent. We don't have any... Tournaments, you know, there's no nationals or, or provincials or super rugby seven. So, for these men to to train the way they have, um, to build a, a deep squad, as you say, to towards 20 players, it's really encouraging. And you know, I do take my hat off to the players, to the leaders, to the staff, because they work extremely hard to get these new group of players ready to to be up for selection. Well, it looks like you made a very good call in uh, leaving out uh, Sam Dixon, Scott Curry and Dylan Collier. Now, they're three very experienced names uh, for this World Cup that you're able to bring back into the squad. 
um, and a, a terrific injection there of experience alongside the likes of Kurt Baker, I think, playing in his third Sevens World Cup. Yeah, the old dog um, fronted on the weekend, didn't he? It was, um, there were some pretty big moments in those semi-finals and finals that he really stood up and you look at his record, you know, he's, he's won a lot of pinnacle events and a lot of big tournaments. So, so that composure that he showed alongside, like, the Sione and I thought Aquila and um, Narohi, you know, really stepped up in those playmaking roles. They really, really took the team by the scruff of the neck. And we've seen that in little bits and pieces, but I thought on the weekend it was probably the most complete performance that those boys put in. So, yeah, with, with, with the guys coming back that have been rested, plus that crew, it's, it's still a really exciting team when I look at it on paper. And, um, yeah, certainly one that we're excited around getting back on the field. Tell us a wee bit about the format, Clark, if you can, because um, our understanding is that uh, you have a cutthroat match against either Jamaica or Scotland, uh, September the 10th, yep. New Zealand time. Tell us, tell us a wee bit about the format this time around. Yeah, well, you know, you're in a seeded group, so, or I've seeded, um, we've seeded fifth, so we're not really sure um, how we got seeded fifth after winning the last one, but I guess it's something to do with the World Series that we've not been fully part of, so... So that's made it pretty tricky. So we right, we play either Jamaica or Scotland. You know, I would think that Scotland will be good enough. Um, it's their last ever tournament together before they go to GB. So uh, as a Scotsman, I'm already um, slightly nervous around. I don't know what kind of energy and passion is going to be coming the other way. And then if we're good enough to beat them, then we play Argentina, who, you know, are a top four side in the world this year. They've won Vancouver. Um, you know, they're seeded so just to even get to the quarter final we're going to have to play two quality um, World Series teams that you know are definitely going to cause us some some uh, challenges so, so yeah it certainly sharpens the attention um, I grew up playing sevens in Scotland obviously and, and every sevens tournament was straight knockout so I'm not sure if it's if that's where it comes from you know with the Melrose Cup um, obviously being the World Cup and where it all started so so maybe that's why why they came up with this format I don't know it's a dangerous one, there's no doubt about it. It's a long way to go if you don't get things right um, right from the outset. Your, your squad includes a, a truckload of experience, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, at the top of the order when you, you, you bring those big names back in. But two of the new players, the very new players, um, Moses Leo and uh, Brady Rush, could you give us a, a little bit of information about those two, please? Yeah, they're both um, players that came through the Ignite Sevens a couple of years ago and they never had the opportunity to play um, due to COVID. Came in just before we got shut down after Vancouver. So, yeah, I suppose it's North Harbour boy. Um, you know, he's outstandingly quick, um, real pace and power. But you see on the weekend, he's really adding past his game. There's some beautiful ball transfer and offloading. Um, he's an outstanding tackler, um, you know, real physical. And he's brought a real edge to, you know, to a wing play alongside Caleb Tungtow. The two of them have become a really good combination out there. And then Brady, obviously, um, Simmons pedigree, but again, he played really well in the first four tournaments, a bit more of a link player in the middle of the field. Um, you know, we can see him playing first or second receiver or, or maybe even Hooker as, you know, as he keeps developing physically. So, so yeah, we're really, you know, really happy with those two boys. They've done a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, they have to be really patient and, and hang around, you know, through that couple of years and, they're certainly showing real good signs now that they can compete at this level. Clark, uh, I'm just uh, interested in the coaching strategies uh, 
perhaps going into a World Cup like this. So we see in 15s rugby uh, a lot of coaches sitting upstairs with laptops in front of them. There's a group of about five or six with various ideas. Sevens rugby uh, happens a lot more quickly, of course. You've got less chance to recover from deficits, etc. What is the? How much work do you lap? How much laptop work do you do going into a tournament? How much is just reactionary stuff from you sitting sideline? Yeah, certainly once the game starts, there's very little you can do to to influence. You, you can be really clear with your substitutions. You can be really clear if there's a simple message that you know is going really well or an area we think we can target at half time. But I think it really puts the onus on how much you prepare and problem solve and training. You've got to try and create scenarios and put your players under pressure um, almost every day that we come up with different you know, different games, different challenges, different point scoring systems that we we try and replicate things we think might happen in the game. Obviously, we look at opposition and there's certain trends, you know, as, as every team has their own DNA and how they want to play and how they want to put their game on you. And, you know, but we, you know, we deliberately focus a lot of our attention on how we want to play we think when we get that right, our defensive system can really work hard and and keep you know keep the opposition out. And when we get the balance and we're attacking and keeping that ball alive and moving it quickly as well as with physicality, then you know we're a bloody tough team to stop too. So so yeah, I certainly think the, the analysis and the computer work is done very early for us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'll shape our training based on Scotland and Argentina. Um, so what we think we need to be really good at. Argentina bring a lot of line speed, which is different to, to some of the other opposition. So. So yeah, we're well aware of the opposition now, and and we just try and filter that into and how we train each training block. So it's not necessarily what opposition; it's more trends that we know that we're going to have to solve um, as the tournament goes on. As you rested players uh, in the uh, recent event in LA, uh, Clark, I just wonder if if you looked across the squads that uh, participated in LA, was that um, was that quite common uh, leading into the World Cup? I mean, did we see the actual South African side, do we see the Fijian side as such? Because you would imagine South Africa at home are going to be one hell of a hard nut to crack. Yeah, the, the first part is the teams were at full strength. Um, there was only South Africa had three guys that were injured. Um, they're all going to be fit for the World Cup. They weren't fit to play. Um, but certainly looking at Fiji, you know, they had 14 players there. <laughs> we ironically shared a bus with Fiji to the airport today, which I thought probably some sevens up. Um, we're trying to you know knock each other around in a final 24 hours ago, and we're now on a bus together to the airport. So, so yeah, they've got the same group travelling, um, you know, and, and I think all the teams really could be travelled straight to Cape Town from here. Then they were at full strength, maybe apart from one or two. So, so yeah, it was a true reflection, I think. Um, and as I say, us having maybe two or three fresher guys coming in, you know, hopefully that can prove a point of difference. Well, Clark, uh, thanks very much for your time. Uh, I know you've uh, got a lot of travelling to do. Uh, I don't know what you do uh, on those long-haul flights, but uh, good luck doing it. And uh, when you get there, uh, let's hope you prepare well. And uh, that first up game, uh, all of them are so important, but uh, due to the format, uh, you can't afford to be asleep starting off. So congratulations uh, on what you achieved over the weekend. All the best, mate. Uh, we'll be following it very closely here from home. Cheers. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, cheers. Clark Laidlaw there, head coach for the uh, All Black Sevens. And uh, they have uh, a nice look about their side, even though uh, they had to leave uh, six or seven players out that would have been in genuine contention uh, because of injury. The Blackfern Sevens team, uh, by the by, has been named as well. Michaela Blyde, 
Kelly Brazier, Stacey Fleurler, Sarah Herdeny, of course, Captain, Jasmine Felix Hottam, Sheree Kaka, Georgia Miller, Rizaliana Purilane, Alina Saili, uh, Niall Williams, Tanika Willison, and Portia Woodman with the non or the travelling reserves actually, Manaya Nuku and uh, Mahina Paul. Unavailable due to injury, Tyler Nathan Wong, Shakira Baker, and Tisha Ikanasio. So uh, that is a very, very strong side. You would imagine they would be pretty close to hot favourites going in there, of course. Australia, the nemesis, and Australia in the men's as well, uh, crowned first time ever uh, World Series tournament champions. Exciting times for sevens. We will have a panel very shortly. With Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, one of my favourite parts of every day is the panel, and I'm pleased to say today we are joined by uh, Aidan McLaughlin out of a relatively sunny Havelock North, and uh, Mark Watson, I'm not quite sure where the weather is uh, where you are, Mark, at the moment, what it's like, but uh, there's some interesting things to talk about, gentlemen, uh, including, uh, shall we start with golf this morning, uh, Mark Watson and Cameron Smith, the worst-kept secret um, in uh, world golf, uh, has now officially defected to Live Golf, which uh, I think has rocked the world a wee bit because he was so popular not that long ago. Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's it's, yeah, it's shaking up golf, hasn't it? It's um, showing the power of money. It's an interesting decision for these players to sort of um, take the money. I guess. I mean, we've spoken previously. I I'm a big one, and I'm a big one in legacy. I'm a big one in. Um, chasing history I guess and I, I guess the danger when you suddenly sign contracts worth $100 million where's the incentive to train hard now where is the incentive to put your head down and really try and chase that and earn the living does not just a little bit of complacency start to creep and everything's just a little bit too comfortable there doesn't appear to be any sort of jeopardy anymore um, but look you'd like to think in time that somehow they're going to find some middle ground here I, I mean competition's a good thing I think in any marketplace but the sort of money they're throwing around is just just absolutely ridiculous. And um, oh, yeah, oh, I, I, as I said to you before, Smithy, I just don't know how big your house needs to be, how many bedrooms you need, how many cars you need. Um, there are just certain things money cannot buy, and that is, you know, things like the Players Championship, um, things like the FedEx, etc. Um, some of the great tournaments outside of the Grand Slams. Yeah, well, you're talking history there, you're talking legacy, Mark, and that's the thing. Aidan McLaughlin, uh, good morning to you. Um, you know, uh, this is uh, now um, the more and more players that go across, uh, of course. But having said that, uh, since they probably signed the dotted line, uh, the PGA has counted it uh, in particular with some uh, sizable increases in stakes and uh, less commitment from the players to, have to actually have to earn that money in a lot of areas. So... Uh, the counter probably a, a little bit too late for Cameron Smith in this latest crop? Yeah, a little bit. As you said in your opening, it's uh, the worst kept secret possibly in sport, never mind golf. Um, so we're all waiting for the day that it would become official. Um, I think I think the issue with, with Cam Smith moving across is here's a guy who's he's only 29 years old. He's at number two in the world. He's just won a major. Um, a lot of the other people that have uh, defected uh, for want of a better word, uh, the likes of Westwood and Poulter and Garcia, well, they're past their prime. You know, this is uh, sounds a bit extreme, but it's their retirement fund, isn't it? You know, uh, although an extreme retirement fund. But when someone like Smith moves across, 
then that's when the PGA, etc., have to be worried. And that's obviously why they've started to react in the way they have. And you know, McElroy and Woods came out last week and uh, announcing new initiatives and new formats of, uh, of play. So, yeah, the fight back's on from the PGA. Mark Watson, what was your gut reaction at full-time on Saturday night, and what are you expecting going forward out of the All Blacks? Oh, I was just, yeah, just, just disappointed, just oh, devastated. I mean, it's Argentina, I no disrespect to them, but as I sort of said over the weekend, um, you know, when you think of Argentinian rugby, you don't really sort of think of professional leagues, um, you know, they've other than what a couple of years ago, never beaten us. Um, you know, we're a nation that, you know, we always find the ten reasons. We've got so much depth historically. We always find the reason why players are not good enough. Where other countries that don't have so much depth just give the reasons why a player is good enough. Look, look, I, I just think that Ian Foster does just need to resign. I just can't see any other solution here. I think New Zealand rugby have backed themselves into a corner. Um, I don't think they're going to get out of it. You know, we've always said that one player is no is no big. You know, no no one is bigger than the game, and I I think you got to apply that to your coaching. Look, I you know they they're happy. They seem to think it's okay now to lose games and experiment as long as we win the World Cup. I mean, that's pretty much what they've said. That's pretty much the way it's going to go if we continue. And so, look, I I, I just want to see. Um, I, I I just want to see guys like Stephen Perifita start at first five this week. Then I want to see. Um, you know, a real change. Um, Braden Enor coming at centre. Uh, let's go and put Will Jordan at fullback. Let's put Akirawani back out on the wing. Um, Hoskins at two to at eight. Let's just make the changes then. If, if this is the mindset, if this is the mentality, uh, incredibly disappointing though. We, we're just undoing our legacy. And um, yeah, you know, you, you can't just gamble once every four years. As I say, Smith, Las Vegas wasn't built on winners. And, and it, yeah, we just, it's just disappointing. The whole thing's a disaster. Aidan, uh, from uh, your point of view, of course, um, uh, what do you, what do you, what have you made of this this whole thing, and, and what would you do uh, this weekend? I mean, um, my policy is this: let's find something. If we're going to lose, let's find something out um, rather than let's confirm something. In other words, let's make some changes. Uh, let's just see where we're at, and if we discover a side that puts it all together at pace. Um, and, and plays out of their skin, all of a sudden you're creating competition within the group. Some older guys are saying, oh, hell, that guy's not too bad after all, is he? And he's got my spot. Um, and just see where the hunger still lies within the older guys. I mean, what are we looking to achieve this week in your mind? Well, first of all, I think going back to Saturday, I think the, 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 the saddest thing about Saturday was that when Argentina took a seven-point lead, I personally didn't see the All Blacks coming back to win that game. Um, in years gone by, you know, you would have always thought that the All Blacks are going to rally here. It's going to it's going to be a spark of magic, even if they haven't had the best of the game, that they're going to find a way to win. But now, when they're in that position, you just don't really see it happening, and that that's really sad. Um, in terms of the, the next steps forward, well, I, I think like most people, I would like to see a complete refreshing of the of the twenty three on Saturday, and just let these youngsters have a go. I mean, if Perifet is uh, worthy of being on the bench, then he was worthy of 10 or 15 minutes at the weekend and he's worthy of a start. Um, I'd have Geordie Barrett at second five. Um, I'd have Will Jordan at fullback, like many people. Uh, and I'd be freshening up that, um, the composition of that, uh, that back row as well. I think if, if you're in a position where you, you're stumbling from game to game and you're losing more than you're winning as they are at the moment, then things clearly aren't working.
Um, so you've got to freshen it up. You've got to give these these guys a chance. Uh, but unfortunately, I think, you know, in 25 hours' time or whenever the, the, the team's going to be announced, I think we'll just get more of the same. You know, I think Brody will probably come back in and start. Um, and maybe Scott Barrett might you know, move to the back row. I'm not quite sure. But apart from that, I think there'll be very few changes. And that's that's the disappointing thing, really. It's, it's just time to give some, some others a go. Sure is. It absolutely sure is, I think. It's got to be a week of that. It's got to be. 10.31 here on SENZ. We'll take a, a very quick break for the news. And when we return, more from uh, Aidan McLaughlin and Mark Watson in part two of the panel. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Mark Watson and Aidan McLaughlin with us this morning. Uh, Aidan, uh, the World Cup uh, preparations in terms of the Rugby World Cup in France have taken a bit of a hit uh, just recently because uh, their chief, Claude Asher, has been suspended for corrupt allegations. Uh, he's, uh, he heads the group known as GIP France 2023, which is the organising side of things. He's uh, been suspended uh, because employees of that particular group have suffered panic attacks, burnout amid humiliating verbal abuse among 15 testimonies was an account of a victim actually urinating on themselves out of shock. What the hell is going on there? Yeah, and this has been this has taken a wee while, uh, really, for, for this action to be taken. It's a couple of months since there was a report in uh, Le Quip, uh, the, the prominent French uh, newspaper publication um, where these uh, allegations, uh, testimonies, if you like, were, were first uh, brought up. Uh, and here we are two months later, and it's actually the French sports ministry that's taken this action. So it's not World Rugby. Um, they seem to have just sat on the, the, the sidelines and waited for the French sports ministry to... Um, to, to make this decision. Clearly, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the background over the last two months. Um, but first and foremost, it's uh, the, the, the allegations uh, of this type of behaviour just seem absolutely appalling. Um, so I think it's probably fair to say that uh, Ms. Asher will, will not be uh, doing too much more with regards to this tournament. I think that's a, a fairly good assessment, by and large, if they reappoint them after that. I'll be absolutely staggered. Um, it's a day-by-day process, um, Mark Watson, for uh, the Serena Williams farewell at the US Open, surviving the first round. Now she has to play uh, the number two seed, Annette uh, Convey, which doesn't augur well for her, uh, for Serena Williams. Um, if she does go, and she uh, entered the court with a lot of palaver yesterday, uh, what will be missing from tennis in your mind uh, once she goes? I think consistency at the top. I think I think what women's tennis is struggling with at the moment is there. There's not one player that, or two, three players that have really taken control in terms of the world rankings. And I think men have really benefited from a group of three or four. And I think women's tennis was stronger when you did have Serena and Venus, and you go back and you had the Navratilovas, and you've had the likes of the Steffi Grafs and uh, those type of players. Uh, look, I. I think they changed the game. They brought a physicality to women's tennis that hasn't been seen, both the Williams sisters. Uh, you know, her place in history, does she go down as the greatest? Well, I, I think sometimes you need a decade for people to reflect and look back. And 
sort of break all of that down. Um, but look, I think she's certainly broken through some barriers too in terms of saying, hey, look, this is not predominantly a, a European game. Here is an opportunity now for African-Americans to take up a sport, which was probably historically very much, you know, a, a slightly sort of elitist uh, white sport, if I can say that. And I think history proves that. So, yeah, look, good luck to her. And I think she's entitled to a farewell. Um, clearly, she's got through the first round. Um, they've also got the doubles to come as well with her sister. And it's pretty much where it all started for them. And, yeah, like anything, um, one of the great chapters and one of the great eras in women's sports about to come to an end. And I think it's going to take some time for the next great to establish themselves. And tennis will be hoping that it won't take too long, though. Uh, look, I, I totally agree. Now, uh, for me, uh, Aidan McLaughlin, this is a dynasty. The Williams family is a dynasty. I mean, you, you don't make um, movies, Netflix movies, Netflix series, etc., about a family unless they have created some sort of impression in any form of uh, sport or whatever. And, uh, of course, we've had that with Richard Williams, the dad, um, and uh, the controversial way that uh, these girls were brought into tennis, the way he was received on uh, is, is in the various uh, parts of the tour. Um, so it, it's been a hell of a story. Uh, Venus is sort of slowly fading away in her own right, but... When Serena goes, what will it mean uh, to you, Aidan McLaughlin? Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty much half of my life that I've been watching the, the Williams sisters play tennis, you know. So um, it, it's it's a big part of the game. As Mark says, they, they leave an amazing legacy. Uh, you know, when you look at the whole story, not just their talent and the way that they've developed and won title after title after title, but just their background, as you say, their father. Um, and... Outside of the game, you know, they're absolute, especially Serena, is an absolute icon. You know, people who have no interest in tennis, they know who Serena Williams is uh, and they admire her and what she stands for um, outside of the game. You know, uh, so, so I think not only will, they, uh, will she leave uh, a, a sizable gap on the court, uh, but off the court as well, um, she will now move on and people will still know Serena Williams for everything she does outside the game going forward. Yeah, and uh, there's been two or three ugly in, um, incidents as well and um, I'm not sure people, uh, Aidan, will ever really uh, forgive her over the Naomi Osaka incident uh, when she surprisingly lost that uh, Grand Slam to her. And I, I, I just wonder if Naomi Osaka uh, has been able to forget it, if that was any influence on the mental issues she's had within the game. Well, to be honest, I think a lot of people have forgiven and certainly forgotten about those incidents. I mean, I haven't, you haven't, a lot of people who watch the game haven't. But um, I think those people that perhaps don't have that immediate love for tennis and just see her um, as more of a, a personality and an inspiration to them they, they've forgiven those things very quickly. Um, as for Osaka, well, she, I think, I've, it certainly didn't help, um, but I th do think that plenty more has happened since then that would indicate that she, you know, she does have these um, these issues uh, that she, she she has to work through. Um, but uh, but certainly it didn't help that incident. It was it was really awful to watch at the time. Interesting times for um, New Zealand cricket. I think world cricket has uh, tasted this before now, but um, it's interesting, Mark, to, when you look at uh, now Trent Bolt has um, had his uh, central contract uh, torn up, basically, so he can pursue individual interests around T20 cricket, uh, or white ball cricket in particular. Uh, now we see Colin de Gronholm has actually um, entered into an agreement without 
getting permission to do so because he is centrally contracted to New Zealand cricket. Uh, one, that's interesting from Colin's point of view. Two, Mark, and two, do you see this as a trend now um, for cricketers in New Zealand to explore? Yeah, look, I think what you'll see is I think the days will go by where I just don't think you'll see a lot of cricketers going past, say, 40, 50 tests, um, you know, one-day careers that might go past 100 games before suddenly um, the money side of it and becoming a gun for hire actually becomes um, as important to them. Look, you don't have any monetary value internationally until you've achieved something internationally. So the international game will always have interest early. I, I, I think the childhood dream of playing for your country. Uh, again, I go back to the golf discussion. You know, for me, um, the childhood dream was always the black singlet and the silver fern in some form, something that you've achieved, um, Ian, and you've left a legacy. And as we've said before, you know, you've, because of your legacy, that phone's never stopped ringing. And so you might not necessarily have that short-term cash grab, but you make a living based on that legacy. And I think that's just something that players sometimes need to be reminded of, particularly by players associations, by agents. But, yeah, look, Test cricket, I think, um, you know, we've got this Test championship now. Australia and England are really fortunate because they've got the ashes. But, you know, what, what does New Zealand have um, that's really, really meaningful in Test cricket that's going to change the mood of a nation that's going to lead to street parades, well, you know, maybe beating Australia and Australia, but the regularity of that is not enough. And so, you know, I think to keep players in the game and to keep them interested and to, um, you know, remind them that your greatness is measured by what you do in Test cricket, I, I, I think there needs to be more work done there to bring, just to bring some meaning back to what Test cricket is all about. I think we're a better cricketing nation, uh, Aidan, uh, across the board than the West Indies. I think uh, our results prove that. But one of the reasons why is because they have been um, robbed robbed um, by T20 markets around the world, T20 competitions. I mean, the top-level players have chosen to go that way, and Chris Gale was, I think, with a forerunner to that. But I... Uh, we're not that far behind uh, if they start. we start losing players at a regular rate. Um, and we could expo be exposed in the same way. So whilst it's not panic stations yet, there are signs, aren't they, there, Aidan? Oh, I think there are. But equally, uh, you know, as Mark mentioned, to, to get yourself in the shop window for those big tournaments, um, you've got to perform it on the international stage first. So if we see some star performers for the Black Caps in the upcoming T20 World Cup, then that's going to uh, have a few people in the IPL um, interested. And in other leagues, they'll be, they'll be looking at those players. But you've got to establish yourself first in the domestic game, then the international game, and then the rewards can come later in your career. I, think, I, I still think that's the case. I mean, Trent Bolt's 33. Um, he's had a great international career, and now he's, he's looking to the future. Colin de Granholm is 36. So I think, you know, potentially the time to start worrying is when we see people in their mid-20s mid uh, looking at these options pretty quickly after they've had a good run of performances. Um, you know, I, I guess you, you could look at the likes of Adam Milne, uh, Lockie Ferguson, but equally their bodies um, have probably let them down when it comes to being able to play the longer form of the game for their country. So slightly different scenarios there. But, oh, it's something that New Zealand Cricket and the Players Association have to keep an eye on, isn't it? It really is, because... Before you know it, it could change quite quickly. 
Mark, uh, in terms of um, one of your great loves, uh, endurance running, endurance sport, etc., what's on the radar at the moment? Is it, things gone, is it a bit of a, a tapering off time? Yeah, look, I, I think it is. I mean, there's obviously IAAF and Diamond League um, meets going on. Um, I, I think for, from a New Zealand point of view, I think it's really just seen how the likes of Sam Tanner kick on. You know, I thought he was the standout performance um, at the Commonwealth Games, you know, running faster at 21, running faster than Walker and Snell. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's now just, and I know it's sort of more triathlon, but Hayden Wilde, a very, very good runner in his own right, and it's just an opportunity to see how Zoe Hobbs kick on and, and how perhaps the funding model in this country perhaps um, changes or maybe addresses it or what's required to get these athletes to that next level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, now the build-up, you know, you start to really look towards Paris. Um, you know, we've got more athletes heading off to the collegiate system in the States. You know, clearly for Sam Tanner, that didn't work. Um, he's come back. But w- what I just like is we've just, you know, you've got Geordie Beamish. You've just got such depth now in 1,500 metre running and middle distance running. And that's, you know, people are starting to believe again that, hey, you can do it out of New Zealand. So, um yeah, I've got to say, I've got a bit of the, sort of the post-Commonwealth blues. Uh, you know, nothing better than good track and field. Nothing better to see a black singlet and a silver fern. Absolutely right. Uh, and I've enjoyed the panel this morning too. Thank you for your contribution, Mark Watson, and to you, uh, Aidan McLaughlin. Go out and enjoy that glorious Hawks Bay day. It is uh, 10.45 here on SENZ. We'll be chatting to Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris before 11 o'clock. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, it's uh, another good morning to uh, Louis Herman Watt and Cambridge Synthetic today, uh, Louis. Uh, eight races uh, beginning at uh, 12.30. I just took a quick uh, perusal through the fields. I noticed uh, this time last week in Taupo on the grass, Tuyakau had about 1,000 horses there. I can only count a couple, maybe two or three here uh, at the Cambridge Synthetic. Reason for that, you reckon? Yeah, look, some some stables and trainers just prefer the synthetic to others, and a lot of Tiakau's chances are going to be, well, all of them really throughout the spring are obviously going to be turf horses, and you want to get runs into them. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't start the good ones off on the, the synthetic, but as we've spoken about, Smithy, some horses just don't necessarily love it. And, you know, you've got to respect that, especially if you paid a lot of money for it and a horse and you want it to go on and win group ones. Um, maybe you just want to start it off on the turf. In general today, though, there are some nice ones starting off on the synthetic, including Satono, a uh, sacred Satono, I should say, in race number seven. A dollar eighty now at tab.co.nz. So this horse, this guy ran in behind some really nice types of the two-year-old, Wolverines, etc. Um, he had a huge performance at Owlsley. Ran in behind your Pacific Dragons. Two, two should be too good for this uh, maiden field today in race six. There are a couple of others on option. I, I've had a look at race five. The buffer each way, fresh up. Came from a pretty handy trial where Outfit, speaking of Tiako, went and won out of that. And uh, in race three, Goldberg, oh, damn, sorry, Smithy, market has moved on us here. Um, tipped it out this morning at three bucks. Well, it looks like the cash has come for Goldberg. Speaking of these trainers and stables that do seem to have good horses that suit the synthetic, well, Sean Ritchie's team just fly on it. For whatever reason, they just love it. And the strike rate's high, and 
Goldberg, $3 into $2.50, number one race three. So that's my best of the day, along with Sacred Satono in race number seven, mate. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the day. Louis Herman Watt there with his thoughts on the Cambridge uh, synthetic races today. It is uh, 10.53. We'll have uh, Pip Morris from the TAB very shortly. On SCNZ. Uh, it's uh, 10.58 here on SENZ. Uh, time now to uh, join up with uh, Pip Morris from the TAB. Pip, uh, Palmerston North Greyhounds today, 12 races and plenty of sports odds on offer as well. Good morning, Smithy. Yes, certainly is. Just on Palmerston North. Really like Highview Toby as my best bet in race number seven. I thought he was unlucky on Friday not to get uh, much closer. I think he's a winning chance there at True 70. Sports side of things, of course, we've got the MPC Tonight, Canterbury versus North Harbour. A couple of bets there. Smithy, $1,000 on Canterbury at 112 Another $977 bet on them at that quote as well. And $900 on Tasman match result at 109 Of course, we've got that rugby union bonus back. If you select your winning team and margin, your team wins, but you get the incorrect margin. You can get a bonus bet after $50. And, of course, we've got Cambridge for the thoroughbreds today. And the best factors in each race, Smithy, is the favourites. Happenhausen in a race one, Saps Love and race number two are also really well back and just quickly as well another start market at 185 we've been $994 on them, so look they are the outsiders against Canterbury but it should be a good game Good on you uh, Pip uh, you have a great day, uh, all the best with the Greyhounds today um, listen, we're going to have a reshuffle after the break, uh, folks. We're going to play Stump Smithy after the break, after the news here with uh, Araha coming up. So 0800 150 uh, Stump Smithy. Uh, Logan will be uh, your quiz master. Brian will accept your calls from here on in. Uh, and we shall have a $50 bonus bet from the TAB up for grabs. That is Stump Smithy very, very shortly. Get on the phone. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, it's time for a little switcheroo here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Stumped at 11 rather than just after the 11.30 news. So this one definitely rewards those that are paying attention, doesn't it, Smithy? It does, yep. We've got to have a chat to Regan Wood, who's the CEO of the Auckland Tuatara basketball and baseball team. It's baseball season we're going to be focusing on very shortly. So yeah, Regan Wood after this. But in the meantime, I think it's about time we won one of these and built the pot up for the weekend. Yeah, I'm with you on that, especially if uh, we build it up nicely so for when Ricardo Ball comes in, he's got a little bit of pressure on him on, on day one while you're over there in Australia covering the Black Caps there. Uh, so only $50 uh, TAB bonus bet up for grabs today, but first in line, up at the crease, we've got Reed from Gore. Come in, Rita. G'day, team. How are we? Yeah, we're good. We're very good, Reed. Uh, how's, how's, the old, uh, how's the weather down there, all the way down the bottom? Oh, mate, she's absolutely fantastic, actually. She's uh, probably, you know, already 10 degrees today, so, yeah, looks like it's going to be a good one. be a nice chance for you to go out for a bit of a stroll and reflect on the fact that you blew another opportunity here. So uh, what have we got? Um, <laughs> what, what, 
what are we? What have we got up for grabs uh, uh, today? We got we know we got the fifty dollar, but what are our, what are our subjects? What are our subjects that wow. we're going to be uh, read on? Yeah, fighting words from you already, Smithy. I like it. So today's mm. topics: sledge, sledge, nice little sledge there, cheeky. Today's topics are rugby, golf, and rugby league. Take your pick, read. Uh, we'll go for a bit of rugby league, please. Baby. All right, here we go. Good luck to you both. See how much uh, attention you boys have been playing, paying to the NRL. The Eels smashed the Broncos in the latest round. How many tries did Clint Gutherson score in that 53 to 6 win? Oh, Gutherson, I didn't watch this game. Um, he may have got two. Is two your final answer? That's me final answer. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, I know you're not a Parramatta fan, but uh, would you have gone all right on that question? Well, everyone gets two tries, so I would have gone a little bit higher, to be perfectly honest. I didn't watch that particular match, so I thought if it was a, such a special damn question, it might have been three or four at least. But uh, So I would have got it wrong, so um, well done, Reid. Good stuff. Uh, it's the power of stumped. All right, second question for you here, Reed. What position do the Warriors currently sit on the NRL ladder? Oh, I don't think it's last. I think it will be on the second to last. I'll say 14. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, definitely not last. And the great thing there, Smithy, is they can't finish last this season. So we were so worried that this would be the year that they come home with a wooden spoon. Not happening. All right, and uh, this afternoon, of course, uh, just reiterating, Cameron George will be on uh, with the lads uh, later this afternoon. So uh, we'll be able to reflect on uh, the season yet again, yet again. <laughs> Two nil to read. What's question three? Yeah, and Uncle Kempy's warming up for a big hour of radio this afternoon, I'll tell you that. Last question here, Reid. $50 TAB uh, bonus bet on the line. Who leads the NRL in try assists this season? Oh. Uh, try assists, I will go with... Oh, it's a good question. I'm going to say, um, how about we go with uh, Nico Hines? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Nico Hines try leads assists. the NRL in drop goals, but not try assists. Smithy, over to you. Oh, look, oh, absolutely. Got no idea. I'd have said Cleary, but of course he's had uh, two or three or four weeks off, so... It will not be him. Try assists. Uh, I'll go um, and a side that's been a bit up and down, had some blowout scorelines and uh, for and against. I'll go uh, Daily Cherry Evans. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, Smithy, when you said a team with ups and downs, I thought you were going to swing back to the Parramatta Eels because the answer is Mitchell Moses with 22. Uh, Mitchell Moses. Good God, Mitchell Moses. Oh, well, um, that's that then, isn't it? Smitty, yes, Ray. Hopefully, hopefully this is a reflection of the um, Ramsley Shield match that's going to happen in two weeks' time. Yeah, what are you, what's your feeling about that, Reid? What's, what's your gut feeling about that? I'll tell you what, I'll be getting on Southland every day of the week. 
Why is that? They're playing in that. They're not playing too bad this season. Hawks Bay have uh, hung on to this round Philly Shield this year and pretty tough circumstances. Every challenge has been a worthy one. Um, well, what, we what, just have to wait what and see, convinces you? I mean, you guys get jet lag when you, when you go past Christchurch, for goodness sake. <laughs> no, I just think I've just got a really good feeling about this year, Smitty. We, we may not have too many wins yet, but oh, how no long since you've had it? It'd be a fifty, yeah, fifty, yeah, fifty. Season. I'll tell you what, Reid, if, if Hawks Bay were to lose it, uh, I wouldn't mind it going to Invercargill because I've got a feeling you'd have a big crowd at the airport, you might even have yep. a parade, and you would, you would absolutely relish the fact that you've got it down there. Um, and if it goes uh, if it goes from Hawks Bay, I'd love to see it go to a province like uh, Invercargill. You, you'd, you'd treasure it, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yep. We definitely yeah, would. I think that um, if it does go, and uh, you know, uh, I think I'm overseas when that game's on, so I'll be watching it on telly if I possibly get the opportunity to. But I wish Southland Stags uh, all the best. I've um, had a pretty good season, and uh, I'd like to think that uh, they could perhaps uh, enjoy the Ranfurly Shield if it has to go from the beloved here. Uh, it's um, 11.10. Have a great day, Reid. Uh, we've got your details, I imagine, but just in case, down the line, and Brian will confirm them. We'll get that money to you as soon as possible. Thank you for playing. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Uh, Reid from Gore there, who was uh, the champion for this particular Wednesday. Right, uh, very shortly we're going to catch up with uh, Regan Wood, who has uh, got a very, very busy role, uh, the CEO of Auckland Tuatara, which, of course, encompasses two franchises. It's the basketball and the baseball, and it's the baseball today that we're going to focus on. 11-10. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.16 and the Auckland Tuatara enjoyed a strong debut season in the South NBL, going all the way to the grand final, of course, but now the Tuatara brand is shifting focus from basketball back to baseball. The Australian Baseball League is set to get underway in, um, and the Tuatara back in the mix with home games returning. Uh, to North Harbour Stadium, of course, so some serious roster building and scouting is happening at the moment, I'm sure. On the line now is uh, Auckland Tuatara CEO, Regan Wood. Regan, thanks for your time. Hi, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, First of all, let's just, uh, if we can, reflect from you on the season that was uh, for the Tuatara, of course, in the sales NBL, not quite getting home uh, in the final, which was a... uh, a bit of a kick in the old solar plexus, but aside from that, uh, crowds, performance, etc. I imagine pretty big tick in the column. Yeah, look, absolutely. We set out to achieve, you know, make the playoffs, um, and that was the goal. As long as, uh, yeah, build a good culture, build a fan base, let the fans know, you know, take them from customers to fans, let them know that we're actually going to be around, you know, next year and so forth. With also not embarrassing the, the baseball setup, so. That's the double-edged sword, which I kind of like that kind of pressure. It means you have to sort of achieve to a level in both. So, yeah, we're really happy. Um, the playoffs, I mean, that was magic. Um, yeah, we didn't quite get there. Um, you know, one of their players had the sort of game of his life, and, and there it is. But I think what was really important for me was, you know, the boys thanked everybody. They went across and thanked the fans. 
I made them drink spates. You'd appreciate that. I made them drink spates at the end of the game. We said, we don't get to drink champagne. We get to drink spates, boys. So you decide whether you want to drink spates again next year or not. But anyway, tidied up their, um, the, the changing rooms as they do always and, and away we went from there. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great result. It would have been nice to win, but um, I don't know. It gives us something to sort of march forward for next year, really, doesn't it? Before we get uh, the the baseball hat on, um, how soon do you start working on next year? I mean, how, and it's the same, I guess, when you're working on the basketball. How far to the back shelf can you put uh, baseball? Is it just a constant um, <clears throat> toing and froing? Yeah, absolutely, it is. Uh, I mean, it's quite funny. I was sitting down with Justin Nelson yesterday. I'm like, gee, I'm glad I got the basketball to do. Otherwise, you'd be sitting around. Uh, from a from a, uh, a basket, sorry, starting the basketball, sorry, starting the baseball, because I'll be sitting around wanting more, you know, so because that doesn't really start again until April. But yeah, absolutely, the whole time you're kind of talking to Steve Mintz, which you know he talks to you guys quite regularly about what that looks like. So you're kind of merging the two. But we're sitting down now with the we've already signed Aaron for. Uh, extended his contract for another couple of years. Then we're going to sit down with Rob Lowe and go, right, Rob, you know, what does it look like for next year? Who do we need to add? What do we need to do? And, and, and go from there. And we'll have that sort of wrapped up in the next week or so. And then you'll sort of just, you know, go and support those boys as they play around the world and everything else. So you'll just be looking at it. a couple of other players that we want to add, uh, see if we can, you know, convince Kurt Penny to, to come back for a few more games next year. Um, and then, you know, that's the basketball. And then the baseball, as I said, that's kind of right now. It's like, right, talking to the Japanese, talking to the Taiwanese, talking to the Americans, and that's sort of ongoing. OK, let's uh, look at, first of all, the coaching setup. You've uh, re-signed uh, Aaron Young for a couple more seasons to, to give you some real surety. Yeah, look, Aaron is probably, right, is probably the best young coach around. I know he turned down a job with, uh, you know, with the breakers um, and says, look, I've got unfinished business to do. I'm really enjoying my time. So that was a really easy decision. Um, you know, I think if we, you know, like I imagine all other clubs would have grabbed them as well if they had, you know, space on their roster for it. But Aaron's enjoyed his time. I've enjoyed working with Aaron. Um, you couldn't get a better human being. You know, he was in tears at the end of it. And you're like, well, it means plenty to, to, to that guy. So, um, you know, I guess that's probably more of a reflection of him and he wants to compete all the time. He'll go on, I think, to become a tall black coach. So I guess we're very lucky to have him and, 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 and the other coaches as well because not just Aaron, it's, it's uh, just Sire and so forth that are helping out. Okay, so uh, in terms of the structure of um, the uh, baseball side of the Tuatara, who actually owns it as such? Well, the, the baseball club's owned uh, 48% shareholding by uh, Baseball New Zealand, and then you roll mm. into your um, Noel Davies and John Follett and um, Bill Murray. You know Bill Murray, the comedian, actor? He's got a little oh, shareholding yeah, yeah. in there. Yeah, former ambassador. There's a whole lot in there. Um, but we're about to rechange. We're about to sort of, you know, I guess recapitalise that and change that um, shareholding. So it'll probably be a similar shareholding sitting across the uh, basketball and the baseball. Okay, right. Uh, let's look at uh, your roster this year. What size is your roster? How far uh, are you anticipating having to throw your net out? Oh, yeah, well, well, it's funny because we don't start till our first game's 10th of November. 
first home game is on the 24th, 25th of November. But everyone wants to get the roster locked down, and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of those worst people. I go to a restaurant and I want to know what's on special. What do they recommend? I always like to make the best choice. So we've signed uh, about six guys at the moment. We're 22s on our playing roster. It's a, it's quite complicated, but it's really good fun. Um, if you're a little bit nerdy, you've got a point system and you've got a salary cap, and it's, it's all designed to sort of. Uh, had parity on the field. Otherwise, people just go and buy the, the, the best players. So uh, for your listeners, a, a former major leaguer who's had five years service time, he's a zero point. A Kiwi or Australian that's not in a national is a, is a minus two, but an Asian is a plus one. A guy that's been released as a plus four, and so forth. Anyway, and you've got about you've got 15 points per series to, to run with, so you get your 22 guys. So if you line up, say, you know, five Kiwis or five Aussies, that's minus 10, and then you sign five from the Rangers, you're at zero. So there's 10 players, and away you go from there. But anyway. To answer that question a little bit more, we will have uh, players from Taiwan, we'll have players from Japan, we'll have players from America. Hopefully I get myself a, a Dominican as well. Um, and we're just sort of negotiating what he would like to be paid and what I'm prepared to pay him. But um, it'll be an interesting mix, but we'll, we'll announce how, yeah, in the next few weeks a few more players and leave ourselves a little bit of space to, uh, to add later in there uh, as we get closer to the season. Are these out-and-out baseball players, uh, when I'm talking about the ones for home in, in particular, the, the Kiwi flavour, or are they softballers as such? Uh, well, uh, have they got a history in softball? Uh, no, 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 none of them. Uh, look, yes, there might be a guy, Jason Matthews. He probably, I think he played softball when he was younger and he came across the baseball probably around 15, 16. He's with the White Sox at the moment. He's in uh, high A. He's playing shortstop for them, um, having a, a pretty solid season. So he'll come home and he'll play third base, uh, shortstop and second for us. Um, there's uh, Kyle Legoski, who's uh, out Howickway. He's never played softball in his life. He's a pitcher with the Phillies. He's been in high A. He's pitched as high as AAA, which is one below uh, Major League Baseball, but he was injury cover, so that he was only up there for a week and he came back down. Um, and then you got your Ben Thompson. Actually, Ben Thompson's dad was a softball family, but I don't think Ben ever played softball. We always played baseball. So, no, they're baseball guys. Um, would we like some of the, the Black Sox softball guys? Yeah, there's some of those guys you would like um, out of there. Um, but we haven't spoken to any of those because I've got their World Cup coming up this year. But I would imagine after that we might have a little look at some of their guys. But when you see a softball field and a baseball field, you know, it, it's, they, they look so different when you actually see them in the flesh. When you talk about uh, baseball teams and you study um, the MLB as such, uh, a lot of it is based around pitching strength. Uh, what's the jaws looking like at this point, Regan? Yeah, that's a good question, the pitching. Um, so we'll have the three Kiwis that we've signed, which is, um, well, the two we've signed and we're just the third one should come across are all uh, pitchers. We've got um, two out of the Rangers systems, which are Australian. One of them actually has a Kiwi dad. Um, his dad played rugby league in New Zealand, but uh, so, so they are good young guys. But we need to find, uh, like we found a Japanese guy, Makita is his last name, and one of our sponsors is Makita. So you know, how much fun should we have with that? Anyway, he's pitched for the San Diego Padres in the majors, but he's a Japanese. So, but he's 
35. So you need some of those wily guys that, that know how to pitch, not just throw the ball. Because young guys want to overpower, you know. You know what it's like when we're all young. We just want to, you know, announce our authority, our presence. Where so I need to get some of these guys that can actually pitch. So we're working hard to sort of get some of those guys. We've got close on a couple, but they've just they've signed elsewhere. They've gone to Dominican or they've signed with another ABL team. So yeah, working hard there. We we have about eleven pitches. So we've signed uh, four at this stage, and we'll have probably three from Taiwan, maybe two from Japan one or two from America, and the rest of them out of them, Kiwis and Aussies. So, Regan, how closely looked at is the Australian Baseball League as a pathway for players looking to get back into AAA, back and crack um, the major league as such? I mean, you look at uh, Tuatara alumni like uh, Jared Koenig, who made his major league baseball uh, debut back in June, um, associated with the Tuatara. How good is that in, in terms of trying to recruit? Oh, look, it's really good. Um, and, I mean, you couldn't be prouder as a, you know, as, as, a, as a parent almost, is it, of, you know, one of, remember, you know, the great story that he didn't get signed in America. And I watched him pitch three innings against the New York Yankees the other day. And, and you know, I'm cheering him on. And, you know, and I made everyone in the pub that was standing watch it. But anyway, but, so, yeah, that's a really important tool for us, for those guys that are wanting to get back. So we're scouring for those kind of guys that have, been there and they want to get back because we think that we're, it's, a, it's a good pathway. You know, we've got um, all our games are broadcast. Um, all the scouts are down here. I think, I believe it's a little bit easier to get noticed in the ABL than it say is in the Dominican and the DR where a lot of those guys go. So look, there's so many complex things that um, talking to one of the um, uh, teams and they've got a player they want to send us but he's a rule five guy he's been around now for about seven years in the minor league so if they don't sign him to the 40-man roster another team can grab him it's called a rule five so they want to send him down but they're afraid that he'll get profiled so they're going to send him to puerto rico because there'll be less of a profile there so yeah which speaks uh, volumes for what's going on with the with the abl here okay so you, uh, you mentioned steve mintz before he's making his return uh, as uh, the team manager, while he's been busy with the Texas Rangers system, um, how closely have you been in uh, discussions with him about recruitment, etc.? Oh, every day, because um, you know, at the end of the day, it's his team, right? He's the general on the field. So whether we win or we lose, he's held you know accountable and he's responsible for it. So, so yes, I find all the people um, and then give them to him and then he will speak to some of his people or we'll decide what we're looking for as well as, you know, you, you know, you, if we're going to have a team of 22, we've got to sort of look at 300 people um, to see where the value is. Like there's a Japanese player uh, that's been playing collegiate uh, to baseball league, but he looks like one of those guys that's gone onto the radar and he could be really good value for us. So it's like, you know, all right, who's the coach? Who's this? Let's have a look at these numbers. So, so Mincy, we speak every day. Uh, and I was actually just speaking to Paul Kruger from the Rangers uh, earlier this morning. Um, and then, you know, tomorrow I'll be speaking to the Padres because the Padres are going to send us down a, um, a young pitching coach, which is kind of exciting as well. So, you know, you've got not only we'll have that, that coach from the Rangers, we'll have someone from the Padres. Uh, we'll have a mental skills coach that was with the Cincinnati Reds for six years. He wants to come down. So, yeah, we've got a nice collection of, um, of coaching staff, you know, quite credible coaching staff. Um, Regan, uh, what are your aspirations then uh, at the end of all this? What are, what are you looking forward to this year in terms of performance? 
Well, this year we we need we, we need to make the playoffs, um, and that's you know, and then the playoffs the whole thing starts again because then you take you know game at a time, and of course you have all people know how that works. So, uh, you know, people have the thing you want to win this whole thing. I'm like, well, you got to make the playoffs first before you do that, but you're going to have to be competitive um, every, every series. So, yeah, that's the goal. The goal is to make the playoffs, and you know, if we do that, that'll be satisfying, and that also helps. With the basketball, because if the baseball's no good, then the basketball community goes, oh, geez, guys, why don't you focus on the basketball? That seems a little bit easier. So so that's the, the pressure, the double-edged sword I talk about, but I think that's kind of fun too, and it, and it, holds, it holds me to account on what we're doing. Regan, uh, just finally, you managed to create a great atmosphere, a great venue for um, the basketball. Uh, how's North Harbour Stadium uh, shaping up? What, what, what can the fans look forward to this year? Because they've had a bit of an absence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the grass is the grass is certainly not worn out. Um, look, we're going to change the fence. Uh, I don't know if you there was a play that ended up on ESPN and they talked about our play school fence. So we're going to change that this year. Uh, we're also going to put in a, a bullpen in right field, so uh, you know the fans will be able to see the pitches warm up and all that sort of stuff, which I think will be quite good theatre. We're also building a, a second field. Uh, on the outer oval for for training, so we're not uh, using the main stadium all the time. So, yeah, those are little things that that we yeah, that the 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 customers slash fans will see, as well as working on our. You know, I got to convince Mincy and the team to be able to do the old um, YMCA to the crowd. You know, that that sort of thing. So that's one of my little uh, you know fun parts that we're doing. But um, yeah, the baseball should be good, and it should be a, a better offering than we had last time. All the best, uh, Regan. It's been great uh, chatting up with you. I, love, I actually love the enthusiasm for you to do one sport, let alone both of them. It's uh, just the same. Uh, Regan, great. I yep. uh, look forward to uh, catching up closer to the time of uh, uh, the first pitch being thrown. All the best, man. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Regan Wood there, who is uh, <coughs> the boss of uh, the Tuatara, and that incorporates, of course, uh, two, uh, two magnificent uh, successful franchises, too, in uh, the baseball and the basketball. Just pipped in the basketball by a very, very popular side, apparently. It's 11.31 here on SENZ. Uh, and when we come back, we'll be heading into the last half hour, which will include a chat with Andy Thompson. We'll have uh, some texts to read out. We might even hear from Jimmy Neesham. And we'll certainly hear from staff just before midday. <laughs> Well, we've got some uh, text to read out, which uh, we'll get into shortly, but I want to hear um, from Jimmy Neesham. I always like to hear from Jimmy Neesham. Jimmy Neesham is just a little bit outside the box, isn't he, to be fair? Got a reputation for that. Um, I remember the last time he was interviewed, he was uh, quizzed by a West Indian uh, after he uh, had a very good performance. He said, it's out of character. Jimmy, you don't normally do that. I think he was, was sort of stuck in the headlights a wee bit, so... He's always a wee bit more prepared when it comes to that. Uh, but just recently, uh, Jimmy Neesham was uh, quizzed on uh, a couple of aspects uh, about the Black Caps, including the best and worst golfers. This will be interesting. Tell us, golfers and cricket, is it sort of like a match made in heaven? Because it seems like you're all great. Yeah. No, there's a few shockers. There's sometimes. <laughs> Who are the shockers then? Uh, I'm probably going to be slightly unfair on Cole Jamison here and say that he's just sort of starting out and he's obviously, he's got all the power of of an athlete but without the sort of the direction. So um, he can be real rocks or diamonds and um, 
Now, to be fair, apart from that, most of the lads are, are pretty good. Glenn Phillips doesn't quite have the attention span yet. Like He plays like nine holes at a time and then walks off and, and leaves his partner sort of hanging. So we need to get that into him. But no, nah, most of the lads enjoy it. Do you have a golfing group uh, that you play with on tour? Uh, yeah, we got generally two four balls, uh, more often than not, and then um, yeah, guys sort of coming in and out depending on whether the golf's free or not. And you know, we've sort of got the core eight who play no matter what, and then we've got sort of four or five more who ask what it costs. So um, they obviously get sort of bumped off um, the, the earliest. So um, tell us about who, who's in the top echelon, uh, who's got the best handicap? Um, because I tell you from our end, Stephen Donald is on his way here. He's nervous to come up against you cricketers tonight. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've got a yeah. Mitchell Santner is is head and shoulders up the top. He I think yeah. he's about a plus two point five. So he's um, that's crazy. Yeah, it's like he could be a professional golfer. Yeah, exactly. Well, he says that, and he probably is going to go down that track too in about ten years. But uh, yeah, he just texted me out of the blue today, just with the sentence, "Check my score." So obviously, you go online and have a look, and he shot a sixty five down at Hamilton. So no, he's pretty happy at the moment. Uh, Trent Bolt. He's got three boys now, so he doesn't get out as often as he used to, but I think he's still sort of low to mid single figures, and, and then there's a lot of us around that kind of late single figures to early teens sort of area. You've just come back from the Barbados, um, and I have to say congratulations as well. Um, an amazing performance from the Black Caps, your first white ball series over there. Um, what was the tour like? Did you get some golfing? Uh, we got a little bit of golfing. To be honest, the tour was pretty hectic. We, yeah. we sort of started off in, in Europe and... Um, went through Ireland, Scotland, Netherlands and then sort of finished in the West Indies and, and I think there was something like 18 or 19 games of cricket in, in a month and a half so um, we didn't have a whole lot of downtime in between those games but um, yeah we obviously had some good results um, a lot of guys sort of put in some pretty good individual performances and um, I think that's all we could have really asked for you know sort of leading up to the T20 World Cup in a, in a couple of months time mm, Jimmy Neesham there with his thoughts there and uh Looking forward to what's coming up cricket-wise, but uh, not forgetting the fact that uh, in their downtime, good golfers, some seriously good golfers there. Yeah, Smithy, I've got a question for you on that. I mean, coming from my world, a lot of hockey players play golf. What is it with cricket uh, players also playing golf and uh, being quite good at it? I'm not sure whether there's any correlation, really. It's uh, hand-eye coordination, I suppose, uh, in that respect. It's just it's a good um, away from um, the, the rigors, or you know, the, the fact that you're out in the open air spaces, and um, you know you can walk and just relax. And it's not something that's got a lot of pressure on it, apart from the haggle with the money haggle that you've got going, or the bragging rights, etc. There's a little bit of pressure there, but it's just fun, you know. Um, a lot of guys find it fun. It's downtime fun, um, and and most uh, areas that you go to or most cities you go to of course have got golf courses and some of them are damn fine golf courses as well um, and, and you know they generally have very good relationships with touring sporting teams golf clubs are generally quite welcoming uh, and find opportunities and windows for those guys able to play so it's just easy it's nice and, and it's, a, it's a it's a it's just a, a getaway thing but uh, and it's been that way for a long period of time I mean Lance Cairns was just absolutely uh, addicted to, to playing as much golf as he possibly could on tour. Uh, the Crow brothers, uh, very competitive. Um, Jeff Crow, excellent golfer, terrific swing. In fact, he's got a son in America who uh, plays in the same sort of leagues as uh, Tiger Woods' son, uh, the, the little fella, so Charlie. Um, and so, you know, the, the golfer's in, in the system as well. Uh, Deepak Patel, very, very good golfer. Um, you know, very polished golfer. We're, we're, you know, we've had a history of, of some very good golfers over the years, and it's just a case of um, of 
of just finding that as a, a nice little backstop for the cricketing environment. Are you able to reveal to the listeners, Smithy, what your golf handicap is right now? Yeah, I can. Uh, it's uh, 9.6, I think, 9.6 or 9.5, um, which means uh, bridge par I'm on uh, 10 at the moment, so off the blue tees, which is, hey, which is, uh, it's nice, but it's costly because I can't play to it. I don't play often enough, so basically I'm, I'm, I'm on the receiving end, uh, Logan, which is not something I'm that fussed about, but... Uh, and I play with a, a bunch of scaly cheats as well, which doesn't help. Um, we farm their handicaps, and I don't have the opportunity to do that. Um, and I'm not that um, I'm not that uh, that fussed about them either, to be fair. Uh, so that is um, what I've got. I've got a very big uh, one this weekend, though. This Sunday morning, we've got the uh, Father's Day, of course, Father and Son Challenge. So I've got two sons, uh, one of which is um, okay at golf, uh, developing quite nicely. Another one just starting out will be his first 18 holes at Bridge Park. Um, and the young fella, um, my biggest problem with him is he's an accountant and he might struggle to keep count accurately. So we'll be keeping a very close eye on him as well. Uh, so uh, it's in the family. Uh, golf's been in my family. I'm the only cricketer, actually. Uh, I was only the only cricketer up until um, when we had offspring, but uh, the rest of them were all golfers. They were all golfers. My father um, was, uh, he played against Bob Charles in the New Zealand Amateur. KJS Smith, so uh, he uh, was good. He had three brothers who were professional golfers, club professional golfers. My first cousin is Marilyn Smith, who was the first um, um, real um, New Zealand professional women's golfer. Um, and so golf is uh, everything about um, the Smith family growing up. And um, I was the only one that sort of broke ranks with that and played uh, <coughs> a little bit of cricket. So... That is the Smith family history in golf, and uh, I'm certainly not um, carrying the flag very, very well at all. So I love it, though. I absolutely love it. You know what I love it? Banter. I love the banter. I love it when someone else gets it wrong and you can give it to them. It's 11.40 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.46 here on SENZ, and we know that on Wednesdays uh, we've got Andy Thompson with us between 12 and 1. Uh, for his rural roundup, um, and he joins us now to preview what's on the show ahead. Uh, there's a nasty rumour floating around, Andy, that you might have uh, played golf uh, not that long ago at Terrace Downs and broke the course record. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I, I did. T- uh, I did, Smithy. Yeah, I played there Monday. Actually, only played nine holes because I was a little bit short of time. Um, is it the course record when you count up or down? I'm not quite sure. I think counting <laughs> up. That's Listen, that's how I did an it. Excuse so big. You've been busy uh, with uh, not just radio work, but uh, of course you've had your clean-up and operation, and um, I suppose that's well underway now? Uh, yes, it is well underway. Um, our good f- Here on the coast, it was actually not too bad, although uh, just to add uh, fuel to the fire, we've got another orange warning coming in for Oterra South for the next two or three days, so looking forward to that. Um, I've already had some emails from Civil Defence, and I've got, a, I've got a briefing tomorrow at 9.15, so that's fun. 350-odd mills down at, uh, down at sea level, t- uh, Smithy, looking forward to that. What, what, do you, what do you say about that? The second time in about three weeks. That is unbelievable. It's just saturating, isn't it? And soul-destroying too, I would imagine, for a lot of people. You're, the good news is you're hardy buggers. You're hardy buggers down that way, so um, you'd, you'd, you'd handle it a lot more than the city slickers. I know that, uh, Andy. Uh, I'm always um, reading up on the farming side of things and, and just looking at... Th- and always the conscious. There's always a headline uh, not too far away about 
um, uh, the carbon, uh, the, the, the footprint that farmers have to keep referring back to and keep um, being conscious of that, that uh, natural footprint, which includes nitrogen, includes uh, fertilisers, etc., uh, that is an ongoing issue. It is. Are you a closet farmer, Smithy? Are you, are you, was, are you really a... a fa- yeah? I was a farmer. I did, I did four years on a, a block out the back of... Uh, uh, Tihoi on the western access of Lake Taupo. Uh, just uh, my, my father-in-law is a, is a farmer there still, and uh, we bought uh, 15 acres off him and, uh, and uh, had some stock in common and did all sorts of things, Andy. So uh, I feel uh, a lot of respect for farmers. I really do. Well, we might have to get you co-hosting on the uh, Rural Roundup one day and, exp- and sharing your knowledge. That, I think that would go <laughs> really well. Hey, um, Smithy, here's a question for you. <clears throat> We're talking about this on the show today. Uh, Greenpeace, after the floods in Top of the South, announced um, that uh, in the wake of the floods uh, in the Top of the South... Um, uh, intensive dairy is a direct cause of effect. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but what what do you reckon New Zealand's gross emissions are worldwide uh, to to uh, climate change? I'm thinking uh, they're percentage-wise around about under 1%. 0.1%. 0.17%. Wow. Now, that's not saying that's not saying that it's not important. That's not saying that New Zealand agriculture we have to do our part. But this is what I'm discussing with uh, Greenpeace, Christine Rose from Greenpeace today. Is is it fair to actually say that uh, New Zealand intensive dairy is was a direct cause of the top of the South floods? Mm. We'll let the listeners make up their mind. We're also going to talk to Karen Williams, who's a environmental consultant, and also Don Nicholson. Um, the other thing is, uh, if we're talking about methane emissions from livestock, in 2019, they were up 9% from 1990. Okay, So methane emissions from livestock were up 9% from 1990. But here's the kicker. From 2005, they actually fell 1.6%. So I think we're on the right path. I really, really do. We're doing the right things. Yes, we've contributed to warming. But we're on the right path to towards cooling and actually reducing. Andy, uh, just finally, um, the All Blacks, the All Blacks, Andy. Uh, we know there's <laughs> a great history of rugby on the coast. Well, uh, what's the feeling down on the coast about the All Blacks? Well, I tell you what, we loved. Here's a, here's a um, here's a bit of a uh, you know a shout out for Sky. We actually loved the West Coast being live against Thames Valley on was it Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon? Yeah. What a great game That'll of rugby right. that was! Did you catch that one? I wasn't able to. I was uh, working myself on both afternoons out of Wellington, um, Taranaki. So, and I wasn't able to, but uh, good occasion. I must say, Smithy, um, big up to your other employers. Bringing those Heartland games live, uh, one or two a week, is just fantastic for us Heartland rugby fans. Uh, let's just say the West Coast fans are not very happy uh, with what's been going on with the All Blacks. I can't really repeat on this radio station some of the things I've heard, mate. I'd love to be in some of those pubs after the game. Gee, to hear some of the banter across the bar would be absolutely amazing. Uh, hey, Andy. Uh, let you go. You've uh, got a show in around about nine minutes' time. Uh, great catching up. We'll do the same uh, next Wednesday morning, eh? Thanks, Smithy. Talk to you then. Oh, yeah, all the best with uh, the show, of course. It's between 12 and 1. It is the Rural Roundup. It was uh, with Andy Thompson. And uh, we'll uh, take a short break. And uh, the other alternative is, uh, and particularly if you're in uh, Auckland and Wellington, um, you can stay with staff, whose show uh, will carry on from 12 to 3 today. We'll hear the details of that very shortly. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.